What's up, podcast? Dan, the Millennial Motivator here, member of the First In Line community. Team Gary V saw my podcast review on Twitter the other day. I love those video reviews, and he asked if I would do a custom intro for today's podcast. This episode covers it all. Gary tackles B2B, B2C, and most of all, how crucial it is that you understand how to get the attention of the community you want to work with. Hope you enjoy the episode. Give it some feedback on social media for your chance to intro the next Gary V podcast. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. The Knicks didn't get Zion, so I'm dead. So energy is going to be down at least one solid notch. Um, thanks for having me. I've been really looking forward to this uh, event uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, really took note of the merger or the acquisition a year ago, uh, as some of you may know. Um, I started my career in the liquor business. Um, I, w- I was a uh, an immigrant born in the former Soviet Union, kind of cliche story. My dad was a stock boy in a liquor store and after not spending any money for a decade, eventually bought a small store. And in 1996, I launched one of the first e-commerce wine businesses in America. So this is a space that I'm really excited about. Um, Over the last uh, decade, I've been running a company my brother AJ and I started um, called VaynerMedia, where we've been working with Fortune 5,000 companies uh, around their marketing behaviors. And I think it's a really interesting time to be here today for a lot of different reasons. Whether you're a service provider, an agency, or a retailer, the mix of the people in this room, you know, when I, when I speak, um, I think one thing that's really helped me have a speaking career is I try to reverse engineer the room, try to bring the most value. Um, I have no clue what I'm about to talk about for 45 minutes. Like, it, it's really a stream of consciousness of what's actually happening, and if I understand the makeup of the room, how do I bring the most value? And that's what's really worked for me, and, and that's what I'm gonna do here now, because I think what's super interesting is for a lot of people in this room, as I kind of take a look at it, you know, we're this really interesting inflection point where internet and consumer behavior is at complete and utter scale. And what that means is we're really into a new era of opportunity. You know, to me, the white space that technology continues to create and always will is really a thing that most businesses and people struggle with because the reality is, is that most people think about things based on what has already happened instead of being able to understand what's about to happen, which is ironic because what's about to happen is already happened in history many times over. It's just you have to understand the pattern recognition and deploy it against the current state. And so for me, if you understood that jargon, for me, what is really interesting is that no matter who you are in this room today, the one thing I know we can talk about is attention of the person you're trying to reach. My entire career, I've come to realize, has been pretty simple. I've been chasing the attention of who I'm trying to reach, and that has worked for me since I was six years old. You know, probably my favorite entrepreneurial story for me about me to myself, like in my own head, is when I started my lemonade stand business, I commenced manipulated my friends to work the you know lemonade stands themselves i kind of scoured the streets of edison new jersey and if you think about how sick or interesting what i'm about to say is it was interesting to me it was fun for me to stand on the grassy knoll or on the corner and spend hours 
watching cars drive by to try to figure out which tree or which pole was the best one for me to put my lemonade sign on to sell more lemonade. That was intriguing to me. That was exciting for me. And 37 years later, I stand here in front of you in the same place, which is where is the attention of who I'm trying to reach? I've now lived you know, two hardcore careers that really map this room. The first 15 years of my career was hardcore consumer, right? Brick and mortar store, internet business at scale, you know, I, I built Wine Library on the back of email marketing. How many people here have done or do email marketing in their careers? Just raise your hands. Just hi, please. This is just gonna be fun for me to say. Like, in 1996, I had a 300,000-person email newsletter that had 93% open rates. And I built my dad's business from a three to a $60 million business in a seven-year period with no cash infusion, no VC, not even a credit line, and it was because I made every penny work like a dollar. And in 1996, that was actually having a website when everybody else was sending catalogs in the mail. That was having an email newsletter, which, you know, for the kids in the room, like, you have to understand, like, people thought the whole internet was a fad, let alone email marketing, right? And then later, the one that really scaled me, which was the day Google AdWords started, I bought ads at five cents a click and owned every fucking wine term in the world. And, and it's really interesting, what, at some point I'm gonna mention this, I would argue that one of the things that drives me tremendously is the great miss of my career during the great success of my career. I was so right about Google AdWords, but I'd never been through a pattern of buying very underpriced attention at scale that I didn't spend enough money on Google AdWords. Like when I, you know, some of you, and I know some of you that I know well, like when you hear three to 60, I'm very proud of that, but genuinely, I know I left 100 million in revenue on the table because I did too much direct mail, radio, television, outdoor, a mix of media. When I, you know, it's funny to say this in Vegas, I don't play poker, but there's something that's very easy to understand. When you have the best hand and you know it, you go all in. I knew I had the best hand with AdWords I, I, just, I just didn't, like, let me rephrase. In hindsight, I had the best hand. I knew it was great, I just didn't know how great it was. And so you can imagine when consumer, mobile, social, internet came along, the pattern recognition that I learned about email, which then became about Google AdWords, then I started the first, lo- legitimately one of the first 10 long-form YouTube shows in the first months of YouTube, which was a 20-minute show of me tasting wine. Um, Yeah, best gig I ever had in my career. (laughs) I sat in front of a camera for 25 minutes, drank four bottles of wine, and it completely changed the course of my career. Uh, But that was the first time I learned that organic, non-paid media could impact my business. And so it's really been one long game for me to get to this moment of understanding. It's the same reason that I'm pot committed, completely obsessed with the toll booth that the voice devices are gonna be in our society in a decade the amount of transactions and decisions that will be made through Google Home or Alexa because it's gonna save us time and we will always choose convenience. This is a really fun time for me in our society where everybody's talking about privacy and I actually know that you don't give a shit about privacy. (laughs) I mean it. Humans prove it every single day. But we care about time and we love convenience. And so... (laughs) Got you, bro. And so... 
what I really want to try to talk about is a couple things. For my own cadence to know where I want to go with this talk, how many people here are in B2B? Raise your hands. <laughs> nice shout. And B2C? All right, okay. So I'm going to talk about both. You know, I'll start with B2B. Uh, if you're in this room, I'm extremely excited right now. I am flabbergasted what's transpired over the last six months on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's behavior on organic reach on content, if nobody follows you, if you've never posted a piece of content on LinkedIn, your ability tonight, probably not because you're gonna go out, but when you get back home, to put a piece of content, whether in long form written word, in video, or uploading an audio file, the amount of organic reach that post will get, if you have even a couple of hundred connections on LinkedIn, would blow your mind. It's most similar to 2007, 2009 Twitter. It's most similar actually to 2011 to 2013 Facebook. And I couldn't be more passionate for the whole room because what's been even more interesting to me as I've gone deep in the last six months, even non-business content, like if you sell meal plans, posting on LinkedIn right now is remarkable organic reach and I couldn't be more passionate definitely to push everybody who's in the B2B world here because the ROI on acting like a media company and not an advertiser on LinkedIn, I'll get into that in a minute, is staggering and genuinely will go away because this is one big game of cat and mouse, one big game of cops and robbers. The organic reach is through the roof right now. People, you know, Early adapters like me feel it, we start working it, it starts getting talked about, this room starts doing it, just supply and demand of attention. It starts growing. Ad price, ads start penetrating in, ad prices start going up, and then the marketplace becomes proper, like Google AdWords is today, compared to 2002. Uh, it's really probably the most exciting thing that's happened to a B2B company. Like, it's very difficult when you're in B2B to not be a sales-driven organization. It's very difficult. And so the ability to not be completely sales and to be in actual marketing is a remarkable opportunity and so instead of the cliche overspending at conferences for your booth for print advertising in the B2B magazine for all the cliche dumb shit that B2B marketers do to have a moment where you can get to scale and what I mean by scale is the great, the great misunderstanding of today's marketing landscape is that the breakthrough is the ability to produce creative at scale that is contextual to the decision maker that you're trying to reach. The, the number one shortcoming of the consumer product marketers in here and the B2B marketers is there's not enough volume of different creative that is contextual to your, who you're trying to reach. People spend so much time in today's world around the math and the arbitrage in our business world today is around the art. The math is so good, the data is so clean, that it becomes commoditized over time, the variable of success for most people in this room is the content that is being put into those pipes. And so as an opening kind of like call to arms, please get serious about LinkedIn. Please, it, is, it, it will go away, it's remarkable, and here's the key. When you fill it with content, you must act like a media company, not as an advertiser or salesperson. The only way you will penetrate in a world of this much content being put out is by putting out something that brings value to your target audience, not in the form of a sales pitch, which is what 98% of the content that fills these pipes is. Everybody's putting their pamphlet 
and their sales pitch in there. And what you need to become is somebody who has the ability to say, hey, CIO, here are 11 things that are happening in your world that will save you money that might not even have anything to do with your SaaS product, but bring so much value to the other person on the other end that it becomes awareness for what you're actually doing. There's not been a piece of content that I put out. Actually, it's a remarkable story based on the context I just created. When I started Wine Library TV in 2006, February 21st, 2006, when I sent one of my stock guys to Best Buy to buy a camera to put up an episode, I literally thought I was gonna do QVC. Like my whole, I'm I'm a fucking wine retailer. Like I was gonna make videos and sell people stuff. And so, the camera goes on, and within 30 seconds, you know, it's funny for me, I actually looked at the first episode the other day, and like, you know, when you know yourself, like I could see the moment where I was like, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't just pedal wine on this, because I had this crazy thing, I don't know if you guys remember, if they still do this, like Dateline or Nightline, like, you know, where like, the guy rolls up with you, on you on a mic, and you're like, oh shit, and they're like, did you, and I was like, for some reason, while I was doing this video, I had this weird, image of me being at like some cocktail party and somebody rolling up on me and being like, Gary Vee, what do you think about this wine? And me tasting it and being like, oh, this is shit. And they're like, you fucker said it was awesome on Wine Library TV. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for some reason, literally in episode one, literally within the first minute, I switched what I'd been planning for weeks in theory and then just kind of acted on to decide to become America's wine guy instead of selling wine from my store. It was the greatest thing that happened to me because it became foundational to everything I've become, everything that I see working in marketing. It's all supply and demand. In a world where everybody's putting out content, you have to imagine the best content wins. This is the cream coffee analogy, it's very simple. The fact that 99% of people are eliminated from even having a chance of being successful on social and digital content because it's selfish creative it's selfish content, has been a big opportunity and a big thing that has really worked for me and others. So, what's amazing about B2B, and one more time, B2B hands, please, real quick. What's amazing about B2B is you actually know who the decision maker is of your business. You know the title, you know the companies. B2B is, I'll be very frank, I think B2B is easier to sell in. I mean, it's less decision makers, like there's, nothing's easy, I understand that but when the whole world potentially can drink your wine or wear your sneakers or toothbrush or cereal, there's a lot of muck in that. There's an incredible advantage to know what your target is when you actually, actually try to provide that target value in a world where they're getting sold to 24-7, 365, you will see remarkable, remarkable opportunities. And for most of you, you have a hardcore sales organization You don't need your marketing to do more sales, you need your marketing to do more brand to support your sales organization. I know that doesn't play because most tech and most B2B companies care about numbers every fucking 90 days and everything's so short term and everybody burns out their long like value out of such short term goals of like raising more capital for the next round and what we're really living through now is one big game of financial arbitrage to hit metrics to get more venture capital, not actually build businesses. I understand that that's what's happening. It, thank you. It's, I got like a hundredth of a clap from somebody. I was like, and I was like, yes, I'll take it because, and I'll tell you why. It was an interesting point I wanted to make because there's founders in this room who are literally living their entire life predicated on hitting 
metrics for venture capital, not actually building a product and service for a business, and that will always fail. Everything's easy when there's a lot of money in the system. When that money stops, the market behavior takes over, and if you didn't actually build a business, you lost. So that's a heed, and hopefully, like, history can tell you, because this happens every time, and we're very frothy right now. There's lots of money, and it's been a long time of froth. As a matter of fact, what's really most interesting after these now 11 years of economic boom, if you're an entrepreneur in today's day and age and you're not doing well, you suck. <laughs> so, anyway. Anyway, B2B companies, and there's a lot of you in here, please start a podcast. It's an owned and operated property. You own the attention. Do enormous amount of LinkedIn organic marketing, let alone paid, but LinkedIn has a floor unlike Facebook and Google, so I do think sometimes the, the ads can be overpriced on its merit. The organic is ridiculous, bless you, but the biggest thing that everybody has to leave here with is what you fill the pipes with. The pipes are dumb. The pipes are dumb. My favorite thing right now in society is people blaming social media for anything. There is no social media. There's just humans filling it with garbage. So it's time for us to take accountability for social media. We're the ones talking. We're the ones posting. They're just empty pipes. The, what we fill with pipes with is the variable. And so, you know, by the way, real quick, just because this is a fun social commentary and I see the demo in this room. The only thing more fun to me going on right now than people blaming social media when we're the ones filling social media is the people that shit on millennials when they're the parents who created them. <laughs> Thought that might play. It's unbelievable. These kids are so entitled. You gave them an eighth place trophy, Nancy. This is what happens. This is what happens. Fuck. America's amazing at blaming everybody but themselves. Economy collapses, it's the bank's fault. Really, Rick? You were making $86,000 a year, you had $100,000 in college loan debt, paying double digit interest, and you thought it was a good idea to buy a BMW and a $500,000 home? And this is how I think about everything, which is what leads me to the consumer marketing, the B2B marketing in this room. The, the reality is very simple. This is just pretty much very basic math. The attention on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn is grossly underpriced versus the attention you can buy elsewhere on outdoor, radio, television. You know, it's basic. The reason most people in this room and in the world don't succeed in them is they don't know how to fill it. They don't know how to use it. The ROI of a basketball is a billion dollars for LeBron James. He knows what to do with it. The ROI of a basketball for me is about negative 8,000 because I've torn both my meniscuses, right? So to me, what another thing I would love to leave here with that I think would benefit a lot of people's businesses is understanding why I'm giving you that analogy. All the people that made fun of me about email and Google AdWords then became the people that I surpassed and everybody other sector did the same, right? Please recognize what's happening. One more time, B2C customers, 
um, companies of people. Instagram story ads, let's just get one quick thing out the way. Instagram story ads, if you target 15 to 55 year old consumers at all, are such an uncomfortable deal that it, it like makes me laugh how slow the world is to fill the proper marketplace on the back of media agencies not wanting to buy that media because they don't make as much margin as they do on programmatic black box buying. And so we need to take advantage of that. So I highly recommend, and again, I don't know the makeup or the remit of every single person in this room, but one of the things that has to happen for any of the things I'm talking about is for you to be educated, not you outsourcing it to somebody else. And for me, communication, and that's what we're talking about, anybody in this room, and when I look at it, plenty of career and years ahead of so many, anybody in this room who is not a practitioner of the current state of communication in society is vulnerable. I believe not knowing how to produce content for the seven or eight platforms that completely dictate the opinions of society today, not knowing how to use them, how to make content for it, how the ad product works, is a vulnerability in the same way of not knowing how to balance your checkbook. If you do not know how to communicate, you are vulnerable. And so again, especially if you have ambition in this room, 20 hours of Google work, people are like, yeah, get how do I place an Instagram story ad? Enter, free, three minutes, then you know how. The details are a commodity. The strategy around what's actually happening in our society is the variable. The reason audio is going to win for the next decade is, I don't know if you heard, we're busy as shit. And what we love about audio is when you're on the treadmill or walking the dog or flying to this conference, you can consume. The amount of people who consume my video content on YouTube now only in audio form, literally put the phone down and just listen, passive audio consumption is going to continue to compound in value. The reason I want everybody here to start a podcast is because you're gonna have the attention of the end consumer, then what you fill it with will be the variable of your success. Your podcast sucks, nobody's gonna listen. Your podcast is good, you're gonna make money. It's not super complicated, it's always been the same thing. What's happening right this minute, literally May 2019, is the scale of the attention is remarkable. The fact that I can run pre-roll YouTube video ads against what people are searching for in intent on Google is remarkable. The fact that you can make videos, I mean, literally you can start a video of like, are you looking for a home in Texas? And they're literally about to watch a skiing video and they're like, Do you want, are you buying a home in Texas? And they're like, fuck, I am. This is why people get freaked out, like, oh, it's spying on me. I put like tape on the fucking webcam. You know, like, <laughs> not spying on you, dick. You search for a home in Texas on Google. Google owns YouTube. It's basic out here. This isn't the Russians. This is the greatest era of headline reading and non-practitionership. There's an enormous amount of executives here who control decision making around these new platforms and where dollars go, where they've made a decision based on reading five articles but have never run an ad in any of these platforms, have decided that Facebook can't drive their business, have decided that nobody's on Snapchat anymore. If you have a consumer business that is trying to reach 15 to 30 year olds, Snapchat is maybe the best deal in marketing right now. It's so underpriced because everybody wrote it off because the stock is doing poorly, but the amount of attention 15 to 24 is uncomfortably high and the ad product is uncomfortably inexpensive. 
LinkedIn, Google search queries turned into pre-roll YouTube where you can make videos that completely address who you're trying to reach. Facebook, on and on and on. It's all one game of the math will get you in front of every person that you want to get in front of. This game is not a tech stack game. This game is not an analytics game. This game is an anthropology, human behavior, what video picture and audio do you make once you know you're in front of somebody game. All this tech is actually commoditizing the tech. The next decade's frontier is a battle of art. The next decade's battle is actually understanding the psychology of the individual. The commodity of getting in front of somebody is gonna be basic. I love when people, big data, Gary, I'm like, and? Big data means shit until you do something with it. And then once you get in front of somebody, everybody's gonna have the same first party data. There's too much activity. You're gonna, it's all commodity. And everybody thinks that's where the game is. It's just like six years ago when everyone's like, Gary, I'm gonna make my kid a coder. I'm like, she's gonna make no money. What do you mean? I'm like, the coders that make 200,000 a year now, easy? It's because they were nerds when nobody else was doing it. It was a supply and demand issue. If everybody's on STEM and a coder, it becomes a commodity. It's the same thing humans did with farming. It's the same thing that everybody, it's over and over and over again. And so, my friends, please heed this call. I could be wrong, but this is one very strong point of view of somebody who's in the trenches daily on these platforms. You know, one thing I'm most proud of for my thousand person agency is I'm the best practitioner at the craft that we do. I'm not a CEO that's in an ivory tower. I'm making every day. I'm reading every comment in my community. I do the quant-based, you know, excuse me, qual-based data analyzing, which allows me to then know what the next piece of content should be based on the opinions of the audience. I'm doing that. And what I can tell you right now is we're living in a golden era where the reason you see such big brands, especially in e-commerce, to go like right to it. We're seeing brands go from zero to 100 million revenue on the back of a 100% influencer marketing play. I, I laugh when people are like, guys, we literally, we know this. I mean, I assume a lot of you know this in the room. There are literally brands that are going from zero to 30, zero to 50, zero to 70 million dollars in sales in 18 months on a 100% Instagram influencer execution. How much attention do you think is going on in there to be able to do that? This is the only thing let me see if I can find it. This is the only thing that matters. And the only thing that matters is such a definitive, absolute statement. It's obviously not fully, fully true, but Jesus, if you do not know how to communicate on the eight platforms that dominate the screens of every one of these devices, you are becoming irrelevant. And so, what excites me is the moment we sit in today. What excites me is that we're in this moment and the reality is it's actually stunningly not difficult. It's more of a religious shift than it is a tactical shift. If you're sitting in this room and you've made decisions of these platforms but you've never run ads on it to look at it, you need to run ads on it to look at it. And whether that's for your business or literally you try to sell something that you buy in bulk at five below and you list it on your platform or listed on Facebook Marketplace, Magento, I don't care how you do it, understand what's actually happening and what you'll discover once you become a practitioner, not somebody who's just philosophical about this stuff, what you'll discover is this is an uncomfortable time of opportunity if you know how to fill the pipes. And the way to fill the pipes is very simple. 
unless you're deploying disproportionate selflessness or entertainment, you will lose. If you look at your apps, if everybody pulled out their phone right now, and I know a lot of people, like if you pull out your phone right now and looked at your home screen, you will see that the apps, which is the clearest indication, I'm literally, the easiest way for me to know who you are is to grab your phone and see what your home screen is. It's the insight of the world. Like, are you anal and everything is organized? You know, like, you know, like, who are you? And what you'll notice if you look at your apps right now is it's either entertainment or it's utility. It's bringing you value. You're either got a sports app that lets you escape that you hate your bullshit job and this is why you love the fucking Knicks who can never win the fucking lottery. <laughs> or it's a calendar or a weather app or Uber. It's utility or entertainment. How many people here follow my content at all? Appreciate, thank you, Jesus, thank you. So this will make tons of sense to you. That's all I do. Utility, entertainment. I tend to blend them into one thing. It's utility or entertainment. 95% of the content I see online is a sales pitch. Is a humble brag. Nobody gives a shit that you got a new watch. <laughs> so, so please, Understand the framework that is working for businesses. For a lot of the consumer people here, another segue that I want to go into, the reason I'm pushing you so aggressively into the art, the art is the only thing that's going to save you as your CAC prices continue to go up and your CAC and LTV are upside down unless you raise more capital. If you're a consumer, if you're a retailer, consumer product in here is selling in retail, a lot of people have grown quite a bit because of ads, but the problem is, your cost of acquisition continues to rise as more people figure this out and your LTV continues to decline or stay stable and the only thing that will stop you because normally you'll become one-dimensional and you're either dominating on Facebook or dominating on Instagram, the only thing that gets you out of the vicious cycle that has put people out of business in the last two downturns is the ability to understand the art that changes the math around your CAC and LTV. The amount of people in this room that are continuously running the same thing because it works for their numbers now, but the number one thing they should be doing is taking 20% of their marketing spend out of what's working and continuously trying to taste new things is such an unbelievably non-natural thing for most people, but it's absolutely the anecdote to the inevitable downfall of 90% of the brands that are winning right now in the marketplace. And so I highly recommend that um, actually, here's something interesting, a little bit of a hot take. I think America's ready to be text at scale around selling. And I think it's, I'm super pumped because as a marketer, my goal is to ruin every platform. That's <laughs> what we do. And so, if you haven't started your aggressive text platform where you're literally selling on text, I think we're ready and we're, we've been seeing some platforms emerge, it seems as though the carriers are starting to get ready to play because they see the advantage of taking some of the attention away from social and other places and starting to build up your data around your consumer's phone number with the complete and utter intent to text them products and services and offerings, I think is here. I think for a long time, and you think about yourselves, we've protected the cell phone number because we fucked up the email address, right? <laughs> right? I mean, that's what we did, right? And, um, but I've been fascinated 
by what's happened over the last 24 months. I think a lot of things got busy and you know, just the evolution of consumer behavior and so I highly recommend for a lot of you um, to really give that a real consideration. I would also recommend if you wanna have any prayer because it is a place where people are a little more tentative that the first 10 to 15 things you do brings disproportionate value to the consumer so that they get comfortable and see that it, there is an incredible, you know, for example, Wine Library, we're about to really roll, out, roll it out aggressively. On text, everything's free shipping every time, always. It's just a better place to buy from than our email or website. So that's another kind of thing that I'm seeing kind of pulse on that I'm very excited about. And, and just because I've been doing it for a while now, like the open rates and the conversion rates are email 1997. Um, and, and, that's, and that's it, I'm basic. You know, which tree was gonna be better to sell lemonade, right? Which table at a baseball card show was more likely to have the most foot traffic, you know? Like, what, what I, the first week as a 14-year-old working in my dad's liquor store bagging at the register, I started fighting or arguing with my dad that we shouldn't put minis of alcohol there because we make 10 cents on a $1.35 shot of Crown Royal. You know, let's put something that people will actually grab. I've always intuitively, that has been my trait, my DNA, understood attention, what to put in front of it, and that becomes a very simple game. That's how communication works. There's a very specific reason that when there's a coup d'etat, they go after the media first. Before they bum rush even the president's suite or the dictator's suite, they go after the newspaper and the radio. The media is what controls this world. That's what it is. And so if you are not pot committed as an organization, as an individual, as a matter of fact, actually let's go individual while I got a little bit of time. Nothing I think is more important right now for everybody in this room than them sharing their thoughts on their expertise on LinkedIn in blog post form to create opportunities for themselves and their family without disrupting where they currently work. Nothing, you know, nothing. It is your absolute insurance policy to your career. Your, I love when people get mad about personal brand. Words are funny, people get real worked up about words. Personal brand, charlatan, shitty, reputation, amazing, it's the same shit. So I highly recommend knowing the makeup of this room and people might say I'm an, I'm an introvert, I don't do that, I don't feel comfortable, who's gonna care what I think? To me producing content in today's environment is an offensive move for your life and your reality and you should very much consider it. I watch so many people not share their truths in boardrooms because they know what is accepted within the company they work in and they're navigating those waters for the ability to stay in that company, yet I watched so many people over the last decade and what I genuinely believe is gonna happen over the next decade then lose in that same organization once traditional wrong thinking is exposed and that person didn't share their actual thoughts. My friends, if you work in a company, let me promise you something. It's a lot more fun to die on your own sword. And so, you like that one? It's true, it's true. People are about to, people don't understand in, how many people here work in marketing? There's a, how many people here work in a company in the marketing department, raise your hands. I'm, I want you to win and I don't want you to believe something as a marketer that you don't do because your company doesn't have reporting that justifies that behavior which is complete common sense and the reporting is complete bullshit. 
and you pander to that reporting, and then in three years when a company suffers from pandering to subjective reporting instead of the reality of the marketplace, you take the fall for something you didn't believe in in the first place. That's what happens. And so, you might not be able to be a dick about it like I am, but what you might be able to do is respectfully, respectfully communicate your point of view in these rooms, and maybe that doesn't play. What you may be able to do, carefully, is navigate your opinions on the ecosystem in your personal blog post, which doesn't expose where you work, go a little more general, share your thoughts, and those points of view become your hedge to the fact that I know the majority of this room, when they work in a company, don't always speak their full truth. And that happens when you go through a time like this. My first ever public business appearance was a panel at a New Jersey Chamber of Commerce event that had like 11 people at it. And it was me and the guy who sold Yellow Pages. This is real. Sounds like the beginning of a joke. (laughs) And the joke was on me. This was 1998 already, 1999. The internet was real, but not to everybody. And there was some back and forth, and this guy tried to clown me heavy. You know, he's like, are you gonna believe this kid? He's trying to sell wine on the internet. And the 11 jokers in the room laughed at me. And it's funny how my life evolved. I haven't told this story in a long time. I remember looking at him and saying, you know, I wish this was recorded because you were gonna be fantastically historically incorrect. (laughs) I have not seen a fucking Yellow Pages in five years. (laughs) But I want to remind everybody, the reason so many companies in the world are called AAA something is because hacking the Yellow Pages in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s meant being the first company listed under a category and AAA worked. Hacking attention has always played. The place we're in now is remarkable because of the scale of the internet itself. When, not if, when blockchain scales and does its thing, these dynamics will change. But right now, there are clearly four to seven to 10 toll booths of the internet. The Amazons, the Apples, the Googles of the world. It is our job in this room to be the best toll booth collectors. We need to be the next layer. We've seen in many industries people build companies that just built another toll booth on top of Google. Open table, right? Home advisor. Got it? This is what happens. That game's changing because we're going into a much more branding visual world of the places people's attention is now. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, audio, podcasting. But what made a hit show on radio in 1937, Guiding Light, which later became the hit soap opera on television, still plays today, which is who can tell the best story that brings the most value. I believe stories come in two forms, true entertainment and true utility, but you have to do it for the audience, not for yourself. This framework that I've established tonight, to me, is the game. This framework is the absolute variable of the companies that are winning and losing. The unlock to all of this, to become very practical in this room, almost everybody in this room, including me and my companies and my clients, is not in a position to make enough content to fill the capabilities of these pipes. Content has to come down in cost in the collective. The days of spending all that money on one print ad or one photo like layout or one video that's a 30 second spot or the singular 
video that you play internally, that just doesn't work. We can no longer sell vanilla in a world where you need to be Baskin Robbins. And so I'm excited and this is why I've, you know, actions over words. This is why three years ago I really went all in and built a 20 person team around my content so I'm putting out 50 to 100 pieces of content a day. Like, you're so tired of me, it's fucking unbelievable. (laughs) Right? Like, I'm one human. You guys are companies with infrastructure. It's time we stop wasting money. It's time we stop having wrong strategies that were built for television and the mail system. Like, fuck, you know? It just seems so crazy to me. And I think the most important part is I think bad marketing is about to really, really rear its head. I really, really passionately, as a good Jersey boy who was obsessed with Toys R Us, I passionately walked into their headquarters six years ago and had this conversation. They just didn't do anything about it, and I think that's the preview, not the anomaly. And, uh, and I really, really, really believe that. So I really, really, really hope that people understand the strategy of the talk. Um, I know we're about to do some q and I'm thrilled to take some questions from the audience. I don't know if we're structured from that as on this Q&A, but to be honest, how you fill them is something that everybody underst- should understand. It's very simple. Pictures, video, audio, written word, it's always been the same. Just make it valuable. Empathy for the actual end consumer is the unlock. But that's just not the framework that everybody runs in. Everybody's worried about themselves. And uh, that's why most people lose. That's why most people lose. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Woo! Uh, okay, so some people in this room know I've started five podcasts, right? I yes. built an audience. Yes. I'm making some money, right? Um, so I know a little bit about that game, and I think that people out here are probably thinking to themselves, how do you track the ROI on something like that? It doesn't have a direct line to revenue. How do I quant it and make sure I'm getting conversion out of it? How do I know I'm going to pump a lot of money into this actually going to do something for my business? You don't. Right. <laughs> Guys, Nike builds a brand. Apple builds a brand. Not everything is quant. Last, guys, are we really gonna make decisions on last touch attribution when Google disproportionately gets credit for last touch attribution because of the way people use Google as their browser? Like, do you know how many people actually saw a billboard but Google got the credit in your home? Are we, like, and what's funny about this is when I say stuff like this, very many people react because you're all fucking smart, you're just playing bullshit systems. I felt that one. I, I think like, do, you really... know, do you know how many people here click a banner? None. Zero. <laughs> Zero. Like, I actually want to click one just to see what the fuck is going to happen. <laughs> like, like it's, it's really sad that people don't realize that they're basic salespeople and they claim to be marketers. Mm. Like, you, when you market, you do a ton of shit that doesn't have black and white ROI within 30 seconds. That's how you build something meaningful. 
Um, but the appetite for that is continuously declining because there's math around it. It's the same problem that Google and Facebook have around video. Because they have the math around how many people watch only three seconds, they get penalized. And then big brands buy television where there's no math around that, but not a human being watches a commercial outside of Super Bowl. Watch this real quick. Just appease me. Please stand up right now if you mainly watch Netflix, HBO Go, Hulu, Amazon Prime. The, outside of live sports, you are watching OTT. Stand up. <laughs> Stick with me. Stick with me. Stand up. I'm going to wait. Don't be lazy. All right? Now, for the eight per, keep standing. I want everybody to look around. I want everybody to look at this. For the 8% that's sitting, right, who are the only people that even have a prayer, even have a prayer to see a commercial, right? Every time they get served a commercial, first of all, the ones that are sitting, 80% of them are only watching on DVR. This is outside of live sports. But even when they do get served the commercial, they immediately go for their phone. They're not actually consuming it. We spend $70 billion a year in America doing TV commercials. Look at this. These same people, there's not a fucker in here who clicked a banner ad. <laughs> so this is not about traditional versus digital. There's bad inventory in both. I think Super Bowl is the single best, you can sit, thank you very much. I think Super Bowl is the single best ad in marketing because we all see it. It's a sport to consume it. You get, 100%, you get 100% American brand awareness. What you fill it with becomes the variable. But yeah man, I, you know like, it's, like marketing is very, 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 very understood. Mm. We're just not doing it in 2019. There's too much math and there's too much fear. Mm. Two weeks ago, uh, we did, to build up to this event, we did an Instagram live takeover, and they let me take over Magento's Instagram. That was a good decision. Thank you. You have a very good decision. Uh, and I, I, you know, a lot of the audience in this room is actually on Twitter, and I, I got a little pushback. was like, why would you push us to Instagram for content when your audience is already on Twitter? And my reaction was, because that's where human beings are, right? Well, what, what's your take on, on sort of that channel shift of um, where, where brands exist? I pull in opposite directions of this. I think it is our job to create no friction for the consumer. People are always like, Gary, you love digital. Why do you write books? I'm like, because people read them. You know, so you know, to me, I do think it's important to not become one-dimensional in one channel that you're not in control of. When Instagram is your, I mean, the amount of people that are in deep fucking shit because they're completely only Instagram, mm. and when Instagram's organic reach falls through the ground or collapses, they're in deep shit. And what's crazy is we just lived it on Facebook five minutes ago. It's not like it should be any big surprise it's coming, but people cry when it happens. So here's what I would say. A, I do think it's important when you have attention somewhere to amortize it into a lot of places so that your core audience is, and for you as a business is never one dimensional. But on the flip side, I do think creating friction for the consumer to consume your content is a bad idea. The reason I do written word, audio, and video is I have no idea how you want to consume me. I just want to give you a chance to consume me. So if you've switched to audio instead of video watching, because now that's when you run, that's what you do, I'm going to be there in podcast form. If you're sitting at your desk for the first hour of each day and reading LinkedIn written word, I'm there. So I'm trying to create zero friction for consumption. So one of the questions that came in over uh, the app earlier today was, you know, I'm a business, I'm pretty successful, uh, 
how do I actually engage my customers on social if I do B2B? Are my customers there, and like, where do I even begin? I, I think, you know, obviously I started my talk with that because I know a lot right. of you are in B2B. I, I can't get, guys, I, my last book, Crushing It, just came out 18 months ago. You're not gonna be able to see it, but maybe you can make it out. Oh, actually, well now it's, in Crushing It, I don't even talk about LinkedIn. It's, like, I'm talking like, about all these platforms. I talk more about Musical.ly in a book I wrote 18 months ago than LinkedIn. Didn't even decide to cover it. Like, was thinking about it and I was like, eh. And now I'm sitting here 18 months later and it was like the opening 10 minutes of my talk. This is what's so fun about day trading attention. You're unemotional. I can't wait to be on stage being like, you do social media? Fuck social media. And I mean it. I, I really could care less about social media. I care about where your attention is, where it's underpriced, and how do I deliver you value that brings me value. Very basic. So, you know, LinkedIn's crazy, bro. Like, honestly, like, it's, it's at such scale and such virality and such vibrance because there's not, LinkedIn has more attention than it has content filling it, which is why this is how it works. You have to get in there, guys, you have to. So that and podcast, I think every B2B player in here needs to think about doing a podcast minimally once a month, preferably once a week, and make a podcast that actually brings value to the employees of the companies you're trying to reach. It doesn't even have to be, it could be about golf. If you think that your industry over-indexes on loving fucking golf as executives, it just needs to hit the CIO, the CTO, the CFO, bring value, own that. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm very, very bullish on that. And so I do, th- I do believe that you will see the biggest companies in the world have an editor-in-chief along with a CMO and a C, you know, chief brand officer over the next decade. We will absolutely become much more publisher than advertiser because of consumers' non-interest in in advertising, and when you do advertising, for example, something I'm very proud of, and I'm hope, I think some of you saw it, because, geez, it really got consumed. A couple weeks ago, at VaynerMedia, we were the agency creatively and the production house behind that Dwayne Wade Budweiser spot, right, where we retired his jersey and he did the jersey swaps. If you're gonna do advertising today, it needs to be a three-minute video that people wanna watch versus a six-second pre-roll that nobody wants to see. And so, that's what I think about it. Another question that came in uh, was, well, how do you, and you covered this a little bit earlier, how do you deal with entrenched bureaucracy in an organization? Is it better to bail? Yes. Okay. Quit. And I'll say why, and I'll say why, and I really believe it. I think the reality is, is almost every business cares about short-term economics. And when you care about short-term economics, it almost always goes against what's right. If you were only raising your child until they were four and they would leave, you would raise them differently. And unfortunately, we have a lot of, and I don't blame, I used to blame people, but then I'm like, no, this is actually the structure. I can't be mad at this CEO. She's worked for 37 years hard to get into this spot, and she cares about maximizing short-term economics because when she leaves, she needs to sell out her options and she wants it to be as highly valuable as possible. She doesn't care about that company for the next 50 years anymore. She's an executive. It's not a family business. You're not gonna change it, really, like, you're, you're not. Like, you're, you, like, if you work in a company that is required to create short-term economics, whether that is because they're a publicly traded company, they're a private company looking to sell, so they're trying to maximize EBITDA, or they're an early stage company trying to raise capital, 
Everything's fucked. So yes, like if you do not believe, the beauty of being an employee is you get to leave. The lonely part of being an entrepreneur and owning your company is it's your fault and there's nobody else to blame. Right? Like, you know, the great part of being an employee is even if you suck, when you get fired, you're like, my boss was a dick. <laughs> you don't have to take an L, you know? Uh, one question came in, I, it, it sort of appealed to me, I'm kind of a sneakerhead, and, uh, yeah, I, saw crazy. and I, I was, and uh, they were asking why K-Swiss, and mm -hmm. I think that kind of, you, you did a collab with K-Swiss, mm -hmm. you have a number of shoes, mm -hmm. and, and I have to wonder, uh, the question actually asked, you know, did you sell out? Or, or is it like the short-term economics is, tell, could you tell that story a little I bit? I sure can. Yeah. My number one reason for building my agency is because I thought that everybody's in big trouble. Like, I mean, I wish I was making video in 2011 when I really made a decision. My basic thought was Netflix was gonna win, Facebook was gonna win, you know, Amazon was gonna win. So I did really well in investing public companies, private companies, and I thought the best way for me to take advantage of that was to build the best communication company, machine as I call it, infrastructure to then buy nostalgic brands mm. and reboot them. I believe the nostalgia is the number one underpriced thing in human behavior. And so K-Swiss for me was a really interesting deal, a couple things. They reached out to me and so like anything else, you, you kind of vet that. Number two, K-Swiss meant nothing in culture when they reached out to me, so any uptick I was gonna get disproportionate credit for. If I did a deal with Nike or Reebok, that wouldn't have been, it would've been cool, but none of what I'm actually trying to achieve. I don't wanna be cool and be an entrepreneur with sneakers. I need to find test cases for me to test my thesis on am I actually building an effective machine that's gonna allow me to buy, you know, remember Jam's shorts? I don't know why I still wanna buy that brand and bring it back. <laughs> For the youngsters, it was like a first version of Zubaz, but in shorts form. You know, anyway, K-Swiss is one of the best things I've ever done. Mm. One, it was all upside. It was either gonna work, at a, it would've taught me a lot, or it wasn't gonna work, and all my friends would've made fun of me for being a dick and thinking I could make a sneaker, right? right. So it was like, no, no risk. Um, no, I don't, I don't feel like I sold out on it. Um, no, there was, there was a, a, a mutual value there. That's right. right. Yeah. 100%. And K-Swiss just sold to a, to a Chinese company for a ton of money, way more than they would have if they didn't do the deal with me. So I feel good about it. They won. I learned a fuckload for what I'm gonna do next. I now look at apparel as an actual category that I may buy when the economy collapses instead of just food, which is where I was originally. Mm. So I've given myself options when this next economic decline happens because that's when I'm gonna strike like a cobra. You know, um, I mean, I literally, I can't wait for the next Bear Stern. <laughs> I mean it, I mean it. Like, I think that there's a lot of bullshit going on. Mm. I think there's a lot of D players getting A results, but we're being fakely propped up. So I think we have time for one more question. Uh, this one was sort of heavy. I'd love your take on it. Sure. Do you think we're in an AI arms race, and where do you think that ends? You know, one thing I really am passionate about that's evolved for me and I'm thankful for it is I try not to talk about shit that I don't know. Mm. Um, so the answer is I'm not sure. I haven't done enough homework on AI to answer that thoughtfully like the other questions. I think it's inevitable. The technology is inevitable. 
Uh, but I think people grossly underestimate human beings. Like, we evolve into other shit. I think AI is gonna do a lot of dumb shit that we shouldn't be doing anyway. Um, and, uh, and it's going to be impactful, but not the way, like, I don't think this, I think this could be a precursor to the robots killing us, um, <laughs> which I do think is inevitable. I think we'll miss it, thank God. Um, but I think our grandkids might be fucked, you know? Um, <laughs> But I think what AI is gonna do is, and, and if you're talking about an arms race between China and the US, if you're talking about humans versus robots, like technology eliminates commodity. And I think AI is gonna eliminate a lot of things that um, don't bring value in 2026. And I think those humans will find other things to do. Listen, I got, you know, for a lot, first of all, thank you so much. A lot of you do follow me. A lot of you know I was a really bad student and I love always posting my ridiculously bad report card, but there's one really interesting insight that I hope helps everybody here. The, besides Jim, the one class that I did well in was history. And I've only now started to understand why. I basically use history very heavily to decide what's gonna happen next. Like, everybody who's talking about AI is so bad, and so, like all this, like these articles were written about machinery around farming. We just knew that we were all farming. We went on to do other shit. Like, we're gonna do other shit. And by the way, like, I don't feel bad for a truck driver who isn't reading headlines for 20 years that autonomous trucks are coming. We gave them 20 fucking years. Like when they cry in 2039, like, oh, the fucking autonomous trucks took me out. I'm like, Dick, you had 20 years. You couldn't have learned another skill along the way, asshole? I mean this, and I see some of you clapping. Listen, listen, I'm unbelievably like, I have a lot of different thoughts, but I will say this. We are living in the golden era of entitlement. And like the quicker you can get entitlement out of your body, the better. And so, yeah, like technology happens. I'd much rather be dealing with the pre-dawn days of AI than dealing with the black plague. <laughs> that happened <laughs> to humans. They lived during a time where everybody almost fucking died. <laughs> so like, you know, like we complain about dumb shit. Mm. You know, like the Holocaust is recent. Like shit happens. Like, I'm not worried about fucking AI. Meaning, yes, a lot of stuff will happen, but I don't view it as this negative arms race. I look at it as phenomenal because AI is gonna do shit that below average humans do poorly. <laughs> Which, and, and I, this is where it's really interesting to hear that se sentence carefully. It makes me then think that that human could actually then go do something that they do like and do mm. well. That's not like, you suck, human, you should, no. It's not some like rogue shit. It's actually understanding how humans work, which is when you find something you like and you're good at it, life is a lot better than when you don't or when you just chase money or when you dwell that the system's against you. I like the pressure of technology. I think it leads to a lot of happiness for a lot of people who can just look at the other side of the coin. My friends, you find what you're looking for in life. You wanna think everything's negative and fucked? You can find that all day as you know. But if you wanna think there's a ton of opportunity and this is the greatest era to be alive, you can find that too because the math supports it. Pick. Thank you guys, have a wonderful conference. Thanks for having me. Gary Vee! 
Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.